Right. Good to see you guys. Please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 21. We are, man, can you believe it? We're actually back in Revelation. We've been there now for last month or so. And uh, chapter 21, 22 are their own kind of section. It's about the new heaven and the new earth. So we took a break between chapter 20 and 21 for a little while. And uh, just to do some other things other than uh, Revelation and prophecy. But now we're checking out our new home, where you're going, if you, if you know the Lord. Amen? And uh, it's, it blows. You could watch a thousand television shows on, that are so popular today about the homes, you know, that people want to move into and so forth. And they pale by way of comparison. I mean, they're worse than outhouses compared to what God has going. Amen? And we know that. I mean, it's just amazing. And he gives us a preview of coming attractions here in Revelation chapter 21. If you could look at verse 1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. We've looked at those two verses, and we've gotten into them, and we've been praising the Lord because we did a whole series, I think it was like four or five teachings long, on how we're the bride of Christ. The church, metaphorically speaking, is the bride of Christ, and God has a cosmic plan. And he actually developed and designed and made marriage as a picture for you and I to know that, hey, guess what? He wants an eternal relationship with us. Amen? And the groom-bride picture is a, a picture of intimacy, right, on a spiritual level. And it's, it's profound. So I'm not going to reiterate all the stuff we talked about or even part of it on the groom and the bride, except one little part, because now we're in verse 3. Verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne, and the Bible does not identify that voice. It's probably not God's voice because his is identified just before this. Uh, so it could be an angel, perhaps one of the cherubim. We're not, we can't know for sure. And the voice says, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them. And they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. Now, that's pretty heavy. God's going to be among us. We're, we're his people. And he's actually going to be there, you know. And that right there, to me, I mean, you can look at the tree of life on both sides of the river of life, flowing the throne of God, and, you know, the, the city with transparent gold, you know, the angels and cherubim and with, you know, eyes all over them with, you know, wings that cover their eyes because they have all this awareness going on. And you could you're going to trip down a lot of things in the new heaven and the new earth. But the thing I look forward by far and away the most, not even close, is being with our Lord. I mean, it's going to be absolutely amazing. And so much so that you'll have a hard time containing yourself throughout all eternity because we don't get a, really a good understanding of who, how awesome our God is, and that's a shame in the Christian church. It's a shame that Muslims, out of fear, three times a day uh, will bow down toward Mecca to give praise to Allah, who has no son, who did not sacrifice himself or send his son to sacrifice himself, who's bloodthirsty and, you know, and so forth. Yet Christians have sometimes such a minimalistic view of God. And that's wrong. That has to change. And one of my prayers is constantly, I've encouraged you to pray, the, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's a prayer that Jesus gave us. And he expects us to pray it. Give us this day our daily bread. It sounds like a daily kind of prayer. And I love the first part of that. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed. He's in heaven. He's exalted. Hallowed be your name. When you're praying, hallowed be thy name, you're actually saying, God, glorify yourself in my life. Glorify yourself in the world. Glorify yourself in the cosmos. And that's something you're supposed to be part of. I mean, you have no better life. I mean, the only true life that you have, the only true joy, and uh, I'm talking about spiritual joy, eternal joy, the, is, is being involved in God's will. If you're doing your own thing, man, you're going to just be depressed because you're, if you're doing your own thing and, 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 you know, being your own God, you're separated from the love and the joy and the peace of God, the fruit of the Spirit, and you're not caught up in the wonder of his love and the purpose of his will. So when we pray, hallowed be thy name, we're basically saying, God, I want to do your will. And I want you to be hallowed. What does it mean to be hallowed? It means for us to make, to, to, it means for him to show himself as holy. 
And when you're praying, hallowed be thy name, you're saying, hey, Father, I want to be part of that process. So I'm constantly praying, and I often stop. I usually stop. I almost always stop. Uh, and sometimes it takes me a while to get through that prayer because I stop at Hallowood. I say, Lord, glorify thy name, you know. I'll sing that song. I don't know if we've ever sang that song in, in this fellowship. I don't know if you know it. You know, uh, in my life, Lord, be glorified. In my life, be, you know that song? In my, in my, and I'll just switch it up. In, my, in, our, in, our, in your church, Lord, be glorified. You know, in my home, be glorified. In my marriage, Lord, be glorified. In my children, be glorified. In my brothers and sisters, be glorified. And that's what it's about, man, hallowing his name. So when I cry out to hallow his name, I know he puts scriptures on my heart and answers that prayer and puts messages on my heart because if, you're, if you've been listening to messages all, we're constantly all about glorifying God, amen? His providence, his sovereignty, his, his rulership, his incredible love, amen? His incredible plan, it's actually amazing. So we're praying, hallowed be thy name. And I want to show you, man, his name is holy. So when you look at verse 3, that God tabernacles among his people because of how holy he is, that's a huge, huge, huge reality that's coming. Because he is so transcendent, he is so holy, that we could just get a glimpse of him would be amazing but that he is in our presence and that he loves us and that he relates to us and that he, he is there as our father, Father God, and Jesus is there as our Lord and Savior, amen? And we have the Holy Spirit just living in us and emanating through us and, and, and the fruit of the Spirit, the koinonia, the fellowship. You can't get your brain around it totally, so I constantly cry out to God, please help us to appreciate you more. And if, if I can get you just to be a little bit more in awe of God this Sunday morning, I'll be somewhat happy. If I can get you to be, by the grace of God, through his word, because I can't do anything of myself, but through his word, by his spirit, to be far more in awe of God and the reality that's coming, then I'll be jumping for joy in my heart. That's been my prayer in preparation for this message. And sometimes I just squeak in here, man, because I'm praying to the last minute, Lord, anything else you can give me, anything else. And I'll go through my notes, and I'll go through them, and you know, I'll turn what I was, I think, 11 pages when I woke up, and I thought, man, I have a shorter message than normal to 17 this morning, but don't worry, we're going to be on time today, okay? Okay? Hey, Jonathan, you know what Jim used to do for me, and I would love it if you did it. When there's, he, I don't know if those signs are back there, but when there's 15 minutes left, 15. 10 minutes left, 10. 5 minutes left, 5. That'll help me out a lot, because sometimes I just get caught up and I get going. And, and, and Jim's like, you sure I could do that? I go, do that, please, man, you know? And, you know, like my son said, maybe, Dad, you need that thing where when there's a boxing match and there's like 10 seconds left in the round, and it, you know? I go, I don't even take that, bro. Just don't totally cut me off. Just give me a warning, you know? <laughs> but I just get excited about the Lord and his word and want, you to, want us all to just glorify him, amen? So this is an amazing, amazing verse. And there'll be times where we cover more than one verse at a time in our Revelation study in 21 and 22, Lord willing. But I'm camping out here, and you're going to see why. And you notice, we don't just look at one verse. We're all over the Bible. Amen? Genesis to Revelation. So you're, it's, it's cool. We're learning a whole lot of uh, Scripture. But we have this awesome God. And man, people, a lot of times, they, they'll come, they'll visit, or they'll people, well, we got a ton of people that are part of our fellowship, outside the fellowship. We praise the Lord for you guys in the live stream audience. You guys are awesome. I've met so many of you, heard from so many of you guys, so many people just like us that just love Jesus. Amen? But a lot of people trip out. They say, man, there's a lot of, you can sense all the love and just the, the fear of God and the love of God here, and it's just healthy and beautiful. And that's because we have a right conception of God. It needs to grow and we need to get, we need to grow from uh, abound in our love more and more for sure. I never look at it as, hey man, you know, I've arrived. I always look at it as, you know, I, I look at what God does and he's doing. And I try to always, see, I see him a glass half full guy. I'm actually a glass overflowing guy. I see God's work. And I say, we need to see the Lord. But in my own personal walk with Jesus, I always see it as half full. I always say, I need more, you know, I need more of Jesus. Amen. And man, this 17 page message is becoming 25, so I better start looking at my notes a little bit, you know, to see where I'm at. But I just want to encourage you, because guess what? God is so radical. He is so holy. He is so powerful that we're going to actually be in his presence is mind-numbing when you realize how big and how powerful he is. Because you see this promise that God will be with men God will be with people, and his people will be with him. And he'll tabernacle among us. Remember the word tabernacle? And we talked about how it meant to spread something over and to be in someone's presence and so forth. And we look at the scripture where God puts his garment 
over or I'm say over us, so to speak, was a picture of a, like a proposal, a marriage relationship. We don't have time to get into that, but I want to just hark back to that just for a second because that's what verse 3 starts with, okay? And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be among them. Why this is so heavy is keep in mind in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 14, which we don't have time to go to, the Lord says, you know, Peter says, the day of the Lord's coming like a thief in the night. And he talks about the heavens and the earth, the cosmos, will be burned up with fervent heat. There'll be this cosmic meltdown, okay? And we had a message recently that when the Lord returns, amen, he comes like a thief in the night. And he changes the topography of planet earth where he, br- he brings forth, a, it becomes like eating through the millennial period, Amen. But it's after the millennium that it's burned up. And it, that all happens in just over like a thousand days. And Peter calls it the day of the Lord. And he says right in that same passage, a day, a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day, right? To God, right? And it looks like, it, that looks like what he's saying there. And then after the millennial period, everything's burned up. There's a great white throne judgment. Then he creates a new heaven and a new earth. But Second Peter chapter 3 says this, which is heavy. It says he creates a new heaven and new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. I'm sorry, I've got the King James for some of you saying, why is he talking in Shakespearean English? It's, that's a lot of my memory. But wherein dwelleth righteousness. So when you, the new heaven, new earth, righteousness is going to dwell there. That's why you need to make sure you've been made righteous by God, that you've been forgiven of your sins, amen? Because that's the only way we're going to be able to dwell with him. You ever wonder why it says, be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, homosexuals, murder, you know, liars, drunkards, and extortioners, thieves, and so forth, won't inherit God's kingdom? Because would heaven be heaven if there was a bunch of people, wicked people running around? People raping each other and all kinds of wicked stuff? People gunning each other down? No. That's why we have to become new creations. If anyone be in Christ is a new creation, behold, all things have passed away and all things have become new. You can't have thieves running around heaven, you know? So you have to make sure that you've been forgiven of your sins and you have truly been forgiven if you see the evidence in your life that you've become a new creation and there's a difference in you before, you know, B.C., before Christ, and after Christ, you should be able to see a difference in your life. People around you should be able to see a difference in your life. Now, it's interesting because I've told you there's hundreds of allusions in the book of Revelation to the Old Testament more than any other book because it's the Omega book, Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, Genesis, Revelation, and it wraps everything up. But several times in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we read, we read in the, the scriptures that God will be his peop- with his people. His people will be with him. And that's part of the scripture. Leviticus, way back in the first five books, Torah, listen up. Leviticus 26, verse 11 and 12. Moreover, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul will, be, will not reject you. I will walk among you and will be your God, and you shall be my people. Sound familiar? Sounds real familiar. And he did, but only in a veiled sense because he's saying he's going to do that. But already, guess what he was doing? He was dwelling with the children of Israel after he promised that he would reveal himself to the world through Abraham and through the nation that Abraham, God would make through Abraham, Israel. And then we delivered them from the land of Egypt through the 10 plagues and so forth. And they're going through uh, the wilderness. He's tabernacling. He hasn't built a tabernacle. Amen. That tabernacle is a picture of what? That's a picture of Christ, by the way. When you look at the tabernacle, how it's built and everything, it's a picture of Jesus. But he's tabernacling with them. And he's also hanging out with them, right? He's going with them, a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day, right? The glory of God, the glory cloud. There he is traveling with them. Yet, as far as an intimate face-to-face relationship, uh-uh, uh-uh. Because it says no one can see God and live, right? But the, the high priest could go where? in the holiest place of the tabernacle. Then later when the temple was built and it was no longer a portable, you know, <laughs> tabernacle, now it's the holiest place, same thing. Only the high priest can go in there just once a year. And if he wasn't right with God, man, and he didn't make the proper sacrifice and so forth, he would be dead, man, because the presence of God was in there. And this is really, really amazing. But God promises that he's going to make his personhood, his, himself available to his own people in a very, very tangible way in the future. And that comes from the prophets because the Jews had broken God's commands. 
They couldn't be in his presence. And the Lord promised a new covenant. And listen to some of the language of that in Jeremiah 31, 33. But, in the, but this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within their hearts and I will write it. He says, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Catch that? Same deal, guys. Same deal. That was his plan. God's objective has always been through the cross, reconciliation. So we could be reconciled to him. So we could be made righteous through the blood of Christ, which was sacrificed, which, uh, who was sacrificed for us. Amen? So we read this over and over again in Scripture. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, Paul says, Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And just as God has said, I will dwell with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And chapter 8 of the book of Hebrews, verse 10, quotes Jeremiah chapter uh, 31 about he'll be our God and we'll be his people as the new covenant was being fulfilled spiritually in his people. So the Lord is with us, and guess what? He's with us. He, what, what happened? It's really heavy when you read John 1, 1 through 3. A lot of you know those first verses, but tie it verse, with verse 14. It says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the same was beginning with God. And that word who was with God and also is called God says all things were made by him and nothing came into being but by him. And then verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. But you know what it says in the Greek? Tabernacled among us. God became a man and tabernacled among us. God with men. So, and Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen who? The Father. The Father. Yet there's something really heavy going on. He says, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. There's God in our very presence. In fact, in chapter 7 and in chapter 9 of Isaiah, remember what it says? You know, when Christ is born, right? A son is given, right? A child is born, a son is given. His name would be called Emmanuel, which is God with us. Jesus revealed who God is to us. He is God in the flesh, the second person of the triune Godhead. And God was there. This is my son. The Holy Spirit bore witness. All triune Godhead was revealing who God is in a more distinct, more powerful way. Now think about this. As this was going on, the glory of God was still veiled. How so? Because the scriptures tell us in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16. Listen to this verse. It says that he alone has immortality. God alone has immortality. It's like, wait, can't we live forever? Yes, you can have eternal life, but you don't possess, he alone possesses immortality, it says. You don't possess immortality in of yourself. When he reveals himself to Moses, he said, tell him that I am that I am has sent you. He's a self-existing God without any beginning, doesn't rely on anyone else. Amen. When we have eternal life, it's conferred upon us, it's given to us in our relationship with him because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm, he's the vine. We're the branches. When we're connected to him, we now share his life. Amen? But he alone hath immortality. He's self-existent. The very next part of that verse blows me away. And he dwelleth in unapproachable light. Wow, think about that. There's, that little verse, man, says so much. He alone hath immortality, and he alone, he dwells in unapproachable light. Meaning that light is so powerful. God's very presence. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, that God is light and in him there is no what? Darkness at all. Why do you think we can't approach the light? Because without Christ and without being cleansed, without becoming new creations, and without being in our resurrected bodies, and without being pure, we're darkness. And God is light and in him no darkness dwells at all. And so when you come to his light in the presence of God, Man, you're coming to unapproachable, powerful, brilliant, beautiful, profound light. And you have a better chance of surviving. The Bible says no one can see God and live. You have a better chance of surviving if your tissue paper, as I've said before, tissue paper before a flamethrower has a far better chance of surviving than you do in the presence of God. And I, myself, as well. We don't have a chance unless... Yet, yet, wait, there's a strange thing going on, though. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, the most popular message ever shared on earth, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall what? They shall see God. What's going on there? 
He alone dwells in, he alone hath immortality and he dwells in unapproachable light, right? And it goes on to say to him, be honor and glory or uh, honor and glory forever. Wow. But we're going to see him, genuine believers in the future, where right now we can't. Paul, when Paul says he dwells in unapproachable light, he says, which no man has seen or can see. Can't happen right now. We're still tainted with sin. We can't dwell in his eternal glory right now. Oh, we could be in the presence of God. Jesus is God in the flesh, but his glory, the light that emanates and the glory from his being, we couldn't handle. We'd be burned up. So his glory is veiled to a huge degree. And that's when they try to arrest Jesus and they say, are you him? And the Roman soldiers may have the toughest guys on the earth at the time. And he says, I am. What happens to them? They're all on their rear ends. Just this little burst of who he is out. If he just totally revealed who he is, fire throughout the earth, absolute. But the beautiful thing is, is we're told in the scripture that now look at verse 21, verse 4 again, or verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. Now notice it says they shall be his people. Whenever the Bible speaks of the people of God throughout the Old Testament, everywhere, everywhere throughout the scripture in the Old Testament, it's always singular. Except right here, it's plural. Because his people are not just Israel, Amen. In fact, Revelation is really big. God pointed out every, there'll be people saved from every nation, people, and tongue. Amen? In fact, go down to verse 24. Verse 24, same chapter. The nations will walk by its light, in New Jerusalem, and the king of the earth will bring their glory into it. Nations. All the ethnic groups, when Jesus said in the end times, ethnic group will be against ethnic group, which is what we see going on right now, right? Well, guess what? Now you're going to have people from all different ethnicities join together as one people of God. Amen. There'll be no prejudice, no racism. Amen. In fact, it says later the nations will bring their glory in as well to the kingdom. In fact, everybody's going to say, praise God, we're having Mexican food today. Well, maybe not that, but you know what I mean. There's going to be just all kinds of appreciation of each other and, and, and who we are. Amen. Because we're all children of Adam, blessed in different ways. And he brings us all together like a beautiful rainbow, man, in Christ. The world's trying to do it in a demonic way, right? Ecumenism in the church, globalism, trying to squish people together out of fear of the tyranny of the government and so forth, and uh, not changing the hearts. You're never going to have utopia, you know? This earthly dream of utopia is a big lie, man, because you don't have your hearts changed. I mean, I just saw it. You guys see that, you know, just the rampage, the guy just bust out of this vehicle and starts just firing on the cops, you know? And he had all these, like, 22, you know, I don't know how many times he, I don't know what he was doing, and they're like, he's just out. They just let him out over and over and over again. But there's no transformation of the heart. You're just going to have wickedness, man. And that's what we're seeing in the world today. So what's interesting is he is already with us in a spiritual way. But I like what Grant Osborne says. He states correctly, quote, While certainly every clause is true today, about the fact that God is with us. It's true today. He says, we know them spiritually. He's with us spiritually today. Amen? If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. While in the final age, we will know them in terms of final physical reality. That means God will be in our presence in a tangible way. Of course, he's spiritual, but we'll have our resurrected bodies. But Jesus is also what? His physical body has been resurrected. He says, you stick your fingers in his wounds to Thomas, right? And we're going to be with him, and we're going to be with the Father, and with the power of the Holy Spirit. But you see, right now, the sinfulness of humanity separates us from God. And when Adam and Eve, the first two human beings, had sinned and rebelled against God, when God showed up in the Garden of Eden, what happened, man? What did they do? They hid themselves because they knew they were in trouble. I don't have time to get into it. It's a whole other study. But there's, there's some pretty cool evidence there that when God appeared, he didn't just stroll along like it seems to appear sometimes. When you look at the Hebrew words, he came in the form of like a storm, okay? That's why they hid. We're in trouble. They were guilty, that's why they hid, but they're like, whoa, man, this God's radical. 
And our sin separates us from him. Now God said, hey, he had a plan, right? Chapter 3, verse 15, the Proto-Evangelium, which is the first time the gospel is expressed, that the seed, there'll be enmity between the woman and uh, the serpent, and the seed of the woman, and the seed of the serpent, and, and the seed of the serpent will bruise the heel of the seed of the woman, but the seed of the woman, Christ, the Messiah, when he comes, will crush the head of the serpent. So God left a promise there. He always had a promise to deal with evil in its most malevolent way, the very main agent of evil, but also, guess what? God allows this cosmic sting operation to take place where Satan and the fallen angelic realm are allowed to manifest that rebellion among the human race, and God says, okay, who's going to join? Because I'm going to judge the world, man. I'm going to separate the wheat from the chaff, the goats from the sheep, and I'm going to have people that dwell in my kingdom forever that want to be there. They don't deserve to be there, but I'm going to love them so much, I'm going to send my son to die for them. So they can come in and be with me forever. His objective has always been, as I said, reconciliation. And therefore, it's interesting because they hid themselves. But it's interesting, God also hides himself. We read that in Scripture over and over again. I tried, I referenced to you, and we'll do a whole study on it in the future. But I said, when God appears to Job in a storm, when he appears to the Israelites in a storm on Mount Sinai, lightning, thunder, and everything else, when he appears in a storm over and over again, that is actually merciful because he'll appear in a dark storm. Why? Because he's so bright. He would destroy us if he came in all of his presence. And that storm just lets us see a little of his power. This is who I am, but I'm veiling my brilliant light that's unapproachable or you'd be toast. It's mind-boggling when you think about it. In fact, Moses wants to see God. And he's this one man that's privileged with actually seeing God face to face. Obviously not in all his glory, because what did the Lord do? You could go to Exodus. Go to Exodus chapter 33, verse 20. Exodus chapter 33, verse 20. Moses really wants to see God. And God tells him that no one can see me and live. Yet Moses, God's going to communicate to Moses. And sometimes in theophanies, he appears to people. Talks to Moses even face to face, but not in all of his glory at all. In fact, when Moses wants to see his glory, guess what? He says, okay, you know what? I'm going to let you see my afterglow. Exodus chapter 33, verse 20. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. Then the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me, and you shall stand there on the rock. And it will come about while my glory is passing by. Okay, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock. He'll hide him in the rock, right? Otherwise, Moses is toast. And cover you with my hand until I have passed by. In other words, you're going to be in the cleft of a rock and I'm going to cover you with my hand. Now, God doesn't have a literal physical hand. It's like, well, you see these fingers and rings and stuff. No, but you know, he's going to, by his power, he's going to cover him. Otherwise, Moses would be dead. Then I will take my hand away from you, and you shall see my what? My back. After I've passed, I'm going to let you see my afterglow. I'm going to let you see that much. Because my afterglow will be the residual effect of my ultimate glory that you can't see right now. And that's enough for you to trip on, Moses. So it says, but my face shall not be seen. So it, it talks about how Moses talked to him face to face, but not in all his glory. See, that's where there's no real discrepancy when you put the scriptures together. So Moses sees his afterglow. And you know what? Moses proclaims, I saw his goodness, his mercy. He starts talking about all these beautiful things about God. And then also his judgment of the wicked. And somehow, just the afterglow of God's presence somehow communicates who he is. That, that right there is, right there, that would be enough to just join today. Well, seeing God's afterglow communicates all kinds of things about who he is. You know, remember when Moses... And Elijah appeared with Jesus in the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember that? And Peter's like, hey, wow. <laughs> Moses, Elijah, with you, Jesus. Let us build these tabernacles, you know, for each of you. And God's like, many, one of the many times, Peter, this is my son, listen to him, you know. God's patient with us, thank God, amen. But how did he know it was Moses and Elijah? Do you think they had like name tags? No, man, God communicated to them, okay? That's a blow mind. He's communicating to them. But his glow itself somehow in some supernatural way communicates who God is. And it's powerful. Now what's amazing about this whole thing, when you think it through, is how is it that they were able to see Jesus and not die? 
because he was veiled. Listen to John 17, 5. Jesus prays. This is right before the crucifixion. Listen to this. Heavy verse. He says, Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Do you see that? He says, Now, Father, glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the world was created. In other words, when Jesus left glory, he became a man. And so when you're seeing him, you're not seeing him in all his glory. Do you understand that? Because we're told in Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, let this mind be set be in you in your relationship toward one another. What mindsets are we to have? He says, even though Christ, Jesus, dwelt in the very nature of God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. But he made himself nothing, taking upon himself the very nature of a servant. It was made in human likeness. Wow, that's heavy. Taking on the form of a servant. And he humbled himself, it says. Even to the point of death, obedience to death, even death on the cross. That's when he came, he became a man. He veiled himself, took the form of a servant. However, it says, therefore, because he did this, right? God has given him the name that is above every name. That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? In heaven, on earth, and under the earth, the glory of God the Father, amen? But right now, when he was on the earth, when they, he said, you see me, you see the Father, he's talking about the characteristics of the Father, the love, the mercy, the compassion, the righteousness, the holiness, but not his ineffable essence, which was veiled. Now, are you with me today still? we just begun, guys. Go to John chapter 12. Because the scripture is just so awesome. John chapter 12. John tells us that Isaiah saw the glory of Jesus in the Old Testament. John chapter 12, verse 40. Verse 39 and 40. For this uh, reason they could not believe. For Isaiah had said, again, verse 40, he has blinded their eyes. And harden their heart so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted and I heal them. So what's happening there in Isaiah's day, the people had just turned to idolatry. And Isaiah says over and over again, these idols can't even tell you the future. They're not God. You have to carry them. They have eyes they can't see. They have ears they can't hear. Why are you worshiping them? And you're going to become like your idols. Well, guess what? He gave them over to that idol worship. And now your eyes don't see. And now your ears don't hear. In fact, in Acts chapter 28, it says they shut their own eyes, you know. They stopped up their own ears, okay. So what God's doing is called a judicial hardening. He gives you over to greater and greater depravity. If you refuse to repent, he says, okay. And this was temporary. We read that God temporarily blinded Israel, and it was for a purpose because their own rebellion, and at the same time, God was pulling off the crucifixion. If they all received him as Messiah, or many of them did, he wouldn't have been crucified for our sins. But it says the rulers of the world, if they had known who he was, they went to crucify the Lord of glory. But it was a temporal thing. We sometimes call the messianic secret, not in the liberal sense, but in the conservative evangelical sense. There, Jesus veiled himself to a degree to pull off the crucifixion. And then thousands of, uh, many of, I should say, the priests were even saved after his crucifixion. Read the book of Acts. The eyes were unveiled now. And God gave them grace and opened up their eyes and they could receive the Messiah or reject him. But it's interesting, who is he talking about here? In verse 41, it says, These things Isaiah said because he saw what? His glory. And he spoke of him. The context is, Isaiah saw whose glory? Jesus' glory. In fact, the NIV just spells it out. Chapter 12, verse 41 of of, uh, the Gospel of John in the NIV. If you have the NIV, Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. The Berean Study Bible, Isaiah said these things because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. The NLT, or New Living Translation, Isaiah was referring to Jesus when he said this because he saw the future and spoke of the Messiah's glory. That's more of a thought for thought, you know, paraphrase. But when did Isaiah see Jesus' glory? And what did Jesus look like before he became a man? And when he said, Father, glorify me with the glory that I had from you in the beginning, what would that look like? You want to know? Go back to Isaiah 6. And we see what the incident is it's quoting. Isaiah chapter 6. This is heavy, man. I love this. So we see the quotation, go and tell this people, keep on listening, verse 9. But do not perceive, keep on looking, and do not understand. 
rendered the hearts of this people insensitive, uh, their ears dull and their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, uh, understand, and their heart with their hearts and return and be healed. And he didn't want them to actually return until a certain point after the crucifixion because he wanted to make sure he died for them. He pulled it off. And then he revealed who he was. Now, of course, he was drawing people that were open to him because Jesus said in John 7, 17, whoever wills to do the will of the Father will know the doctrine. So those who had open hearts and were humble, he gave grace to. And many people, you know, the people received him and followed him, the disciples and so forth. But those whose hearts were hardened, he said, I'm not going to show them. I'm going to start speaking parables now because I'm going to the cross. And then after the cross, clearly just proclaim the gospel. He's going to open up who's, who's ever willing can come, amen, because he doesn't will that any would perish. But there's a whole plan going on here. So he's seen, he's quoting this, John, saying, Jesus saw this when he, you know, this was stated when, you know, Isaiah was speaking of seeing Jesus' glory. Well, let's back up now and see what his glory looks like, guys. And this will give us an understanding of why we cannot be in God's presence unless we have the gospel and what God's plan is, okay? And this is very, very important. So go to Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. Okay, verse 1, in the year of King Uzziah's death, this is huge, in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. What are you, Isaiah's, in the year of Uzziah's death. This is a huge thing going on here, why? Because Judah, the kingdom of Judah, was under siege, okay, and they were under siege by an Aramean king, okay? And the Aramean king uh, was pretty powerful. And he had just taken over and just, just wiped out other uh, kingdoms and so forth. By the way, Uzziah was the 10th king of Israel. And he was considered a military genius. He had overcome the Arabs. He had overcome the Philistines. He had overcome the Ammonites. He was considered a military genius. So guess what? With the king of uh, the Assyrians, you remember the northern kingdom was taken by Assyria, but the king uh, of Assyria, uh, Tilglath-Pileser, okay? Anybody meet somebody ever named Tilglath? And then the last name's kind of cool too, right? Just calling call a last name, Pileser. Uh, this guy was pretty bad, Syrian king. And he was going after Jerusalem, set his eyes on Jerusalem. But guess what? We have King Uzziah. But wait a second, King Uzziah had gotten in some bad trouble. Because of his battles and his military prowess, it went to his head. I want to be a priest too, not just king. I mean, the priests are, you know, worshiping God, allowed to do these things in the temple. He went in there and guess what he did? Attempted to light incense before the Lord in the temple. That was a no-no. God had, uh, you know, given that to the sons of Aaron, the Levites. And what did the Lord do? That's right, man. First, he tried, you know, the priest tried to usher him out. He became proud and angry at the priest. And then God struck him with leprosy. And then guess what happens in 740 BC? The same year, the same exact year that Tiglath is coming, that Pileser is coming, okay? Tiglath, Pileser, you know? Uh, Guess what? That's the same year Uzziah dies. Uzziah dies. It's like, what happened? So Isaiah is in despair because he, in chapter 5, if you read chapter 5, woe to those, he's pronouncing woes because the nation's in trouble because of their wickedness. Woe to those who call uh, good evil and evil good and put light for darkness and darkness for light. Woe to those who wake up and start getting drunk and stuff, you know. Woe to those who have all kinds of music, but they don't mention me in their parties, you know. I've thought about me, it's all about them. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Then guess what happens? Now he's like, now he's iodized after all these woes he pronounces. Now he's like, what's going to happen? Isaiah is probably in great despair, but guess what? Now he sees, look at verse 1 again in that light of everything we just talked about. In the year of King Uzziah's death, that's why it's mentioned. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted with a train of his robe filling the temple. Brothers and sisters, check this out. It's pretty heavy. He's seeing the true king of Israel. Amen. He's saying, I am in control. And right now, you might be thinking, man, this is a crazy world we're living in. All this chaos going on, COVID, you know, 
uh, being careful because some people are dying. Some people we even know, like Paul Hatley, pray for him, right? And then you also have to deal with the government overreach, right, where they want to use it to press their agenda as well. Uh, and there's all this going on, and we're, we're just remembering 9-11, right? And all these innocent people killed, thousands of innocent people killed, the Twin Towers coming down. And crazy stuff's going on. And Jesus said it would get crazy, and the hearts of many would fail them for fear of things coming on the earth. Don't keep your eyes focused on just what's going on. Keep your eyes focused mainly, amen, ultimately on the king who's on the throne, who is high and lifted up and exalted. And I understand that he is ultimately in control, amen. And the Bible says if we keep our eyes in Isaiah, it says, stayed on him, he will keep us in perfect what? Peace. If you start to freak out, get your eyes back on Jesus, amen. Peter's walking on water just fine. Wow, Peter, it's by God's grace you're doing that. The waves, oh man, it's getting choppy. He starts to sink, amen. Jesus catches him, brings him up. Keep your eyes on Jesus, amen. And if you get your eyes off, man, he's reaching out to you, man. Let him hold you. Don't shake loose. Don't freak out. Don't keep your eyes focused on the world. Our king reigns, amen. Whatever you're facing in this world, I don't care how bad things are getting. If you look to Jesus, amen, it says he doesn't allow us to go through trials that are too hard for us to endure by his grace. With every trial that we face, every temptation, the Greek word prosmos, translated trials, is the same word that's translated temptation. So when I look at that scripture, it says there's no trial. I read it this way, no trial or temptation, because that's what the word means. Every trial has a temptation with it, amen? Every temptation is a trial. And with the trial, he says, he's faithful. will also give you a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. His hand is there. You need to grab it. You don't need to resort to dishonesty. In fact, if you're resorting to dishonesty, you need to get on your knees and see the king on his throne. And say, Lord, help me do what's right and glorify you where you repent. Amen. So Isaiah sees him on the throne. And it's so encouraging, you would think, right? And in some ways it is. But it's also really, really heavy what happens. Because he sees him on his throne, high and exalted. And what's interesting about this, let's look at it. There's even more here. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. There's a huge teaching right there. We can just camp out there, man. Look to Jesus, amen. The fit, author and finisher of our faith. Look at verse, but look at the end of the verse. His robe, the train of his robe is filling the temple. Wow. The train of his robe. The whole temple is filled up with the train of his robe. And sometimes when you think of the train of the robe, you're thinking of like the, you know, the back part, like a gown that just, but guess what? That's not even what it's talking about. The, the Hebrew word there is shul. Okay, S-H-U-L in Hebrew. Shul. You know what shul is? That same word is what it means when you go later in like Exodus and Leviticus and stuff. It simply means him. <laughs> it's just him, the him, the him of his robe. The him of his robe, just the him, fills the temple. What's God saying there? He's really, really big. Amen? Hallowed be thy name. That's my prayer, Lord. Show us how big and beautiful and powerful and wonderful and merciful and loving and kind and gracious you are. Amen? They're seeing, he's just seeing the, the him. Because you know what the Bible says? God created the heavens and the earth. And you know what it says? The heaven, heaven cannot contain him and the heaven of heavens cannot contain him. That's how big he is. So he, just, you know, you know, we talked about this. How many light years is just our galaxy, one of millions and billions of galaxies? How far is our galaxy across? 100,000 light years. How long, is it, how long does it travel? How long does it take to go, you know, if you're traveling at the speed of light, which is approximately, I know they want to mess with the numbers sometimes, but about 186,000 miles a second. 186,000 miles a second. That's fast. And if you strapped yourself on a light beam, how many times could you go around the earth in a second? Seven times. Wow, that's fast. Now, you said, man, I'm moving. I'm going to go across the universe. I'm going to cross just this galaxy. It would take you 100,000 years at that speed to go across our galaxy. 100,000 years. I mean, you'd be dead just, you know, real quick. You'd, you'd get old and I barely started. And that's just one small galaxy. The universe is, 
yet God is. <laughs> Amen? Because this universe cannot even contain him. Heaven can't contain him. And the heaven of heavens can't contain him. And we don't even know how big that is. It's where God dwells. We have an amazing God. So you understand, the hem, not the train, the hem of his robe fills the temple. God is showing Isaiah, don't worry. I'm in control. But also, Isaiah, you should be very worried, he's saying, if you're not right with me. Let's continue. Verse 2. Seraphim stood above him. Now, I believe seraphim are cherubim. Is that a bad translation? No, it's a great translation. Cherubim is the name of the angels, and they're six-winged angels that say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty right here. And they say it in Revelation chapter 4. And they're also described in Ezekiel. But it's the same being, but cherubim is the name, cherubs. Cherubs, like Satan was the anointed cherub who fell. We see these four cherubim that aren't Satan. In Ezekiel, we see these four cherubim. And cherub, the word im at the end, cherubim or cherubim, really in the Hebrew is how you pronounce it, im. Uh, cherubim, is, im is plural, so he's talking about more than one. Satan's the anointed cherub who fell. But the term seraphim is not a technical name, it's a description. It literally means burning ones. So he doesn't say, oh, these are the cherubim. He just says he saw these what? Burning ones. They're on fire. He's just describing what's going on. The word, re, root word for cherub I'm sorry, seraphim, the the Hebrew root means to burn. Some translate it fiery ones, burning ones. So he literally sees in verse 2, burning ones stood above him, each having six wings. Now, look what's happening here. With two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. These things are burning. Now, they're not burning like, ah, in torment. They're burning because they're reflecting who? God, who dwells in unapproachable light. Over and over again in the Old Testament and the New, the Bible says God is a consuming fire. Okay? This gets heavier and heavier as we go. He is a consuming fire. Now, the Bible says in 1 John 4, 8, 1 John 4, 16, God is love. Thank God he is love. Amen? But he is also a consuming fire that the universe cannot even begin to contain. You see how big our God is? So most Christians are clueless about how big God is, how awesome he is, how holy he is, how powerful he is. And these angelic beings, these cherubs, who are seraphim burning ones before his throne, describing the same angels, as I believe the same angels, they are in a class above us. Amen? The Bible says angels, read 2 Peter chapter 2, read the book of Jude, they're created higher than us. And guess what? They've never sinned. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in heaven worshiping him still. Yet they're still unworthy to be in his presence. And they're lit up, man, because they're in the presence of the one who dwells in this unapproachable light for us humans. Amen? Yet they're in his presence, but they're covering their faces. Amen? They're covering their feet. Because guess what? They can barely contain being in his presence. Are you with me today still? That's how powerful this is. They stood above him, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. They were flying. And guess what? Verse 3. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, when they're calling out to one another, notice that they're calling out to one another. Isn't that interesting? They're like... He's holy, holy, holy. Now, holiness means two different things. It means it has, it's multifaceted. It means it's beautiful. But when we usually see the word holy, and we're called to be holy as believers, it means to be consecrated to God and separate from that which is evil. And God is certainly separate from that which is evil. Amen? But he's also holy in what we call the ontological sense in theology. That is that he is totally distinct from his creation. Those angels, those holy seraphim, and all the other angels and all of us human beings and every other creature are created beings. God is the uncreated creator of all things. He's holy, holy, holy. And the word in in Hebrew is kadosh. 
kadosh, 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 they're saying, kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. And why not just once? Why three times? Because we don't have words in our human languages strong enough to describe how radical God is. So it's intensified. Are you with me? He just is so brilliantly bright. He is just so big. He's so wise. He's so powerful. He rules. We can't get our brains around how awesome he is. Kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. Such an, he's holy, holy, holy. And they say it to one another. And they're tripping out. They're just like, because they continue to say this day and night. It's like, you know what? Sometimes I'll be sitting in the backyard reading with my wife and what have you. It's like, and, and you know, I'm just usually, you know, and she'll like come and get me. She says, man, you got to check out the sunset tonight, you know. And I'll go out there and we'll hang out a little bit. And you know what? She'll say 20 times. I'll say 20 times. Wow, check it out now. Look, wow, now, because it just changed its brilliance to one degree or another. Or you're looking at this really cool rainbow, right? Or it's really cool waterfall or this wilderness scene or landscape scene or just the ocean being so beautiful at certain times of the day or just certain creatures that God has made and you're like, check that out. That's awesome. You know, how many love nature? And you're like, wow, that's so cool. You tell us, that's so awesome. Well, guess what? That's nothing. A little drop in the bucket compared to what it would be to see God. So they're like, not check out the sunset now. How beautiful is it? They're like, look, holy, holy, holy. Wow. I'm excited, man, because heaven will not be boring. It's going to be hard to get your eyes off of God, okay? Because when you trip out on things he made, how much more, and that's just a little tiny speck of what he made, according to the glory that he's made, how much more awesome it will be to actually look at him and just be like, I'm oh, in his presence, amen? You're just going to be blown away every second of eternity. Because there's no boredom, not one iota of boredom in heaven. And that's just, and that's seeing God. And then we'll be able to marvel at things he's made and we'll have eternal bliss and joy. Amen. Thank you so much, Jonathan. That helps me so much to see that 15, bro. I love that, man. Let's keep that up. I love that, man. Now, Lord, help me get through the rest in 15. Or 10 and a half so we can do communion and still get out of here at 10.45. So this is absolutely amazing when you see this. And it's just so, so beautiful. Now, it's interesting because he says the whole earth is filled with his glory. I think it's probably better translated, the whole earth will be filled with his glory. Because both are true. The whole earth is filled with his glory, right? You look around creation, Romans 1, 18 through 20, you see his divine attributes through the things he's made, amen? But this is talking about how the Lord is pulling off his plan, how he's going to reign. And in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, it says, or the earth will, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea in the future. Right now, most people don't know the Lord. Most people aren't recognizing his glory. Psalm 72 verse 19 says, Praise be to his glorious name forever. It's a prayer. Listen to this. May the whole earth be filled with the glory. Amen. With his glory. Amen and amen. And what I'm saying is, in the Hebrew, when it says the whole earth is filled, is filled with his glory, there's no is in the Hebrew. The, the translators are just saying, well, maybe it means it is. His. So it's up for grabs. We don't know for sure if it means it is or it will be filled with his glory. I believe both are true. I believe it is filled with his glory, and it will be filled with his glory ultimately when the knowledge of the Lord and the glory of the Lord is seen in the new heavens and the new earth. Amen? And God's plan. And that's why Isaiah starts tripping out, because he's like, uh-oh, he's going to deal with the wicked, man. He's going to bring his glory, and I need to make sure I'm right with him. Amen? So it's really, really heavy when you think about it. Now, go ahead and let's look at Isaiah chapter 6. They called and said to one another, verse 3, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is or will be full of his glory. Now, keep in mind, man. Remember John in chapter 19, verse 10? He's in the book. He's in heaven receiving the book of Revelation. And all of a sudden you read in the few verses before he actually blows it. It says, it talks about this great multitude of God praising God. Great multitude praising God. They're worshiping like, wow. He's checking out this worship of God. That's when he falls down to worship the angel. And they just get up. I'm a servant like you are. Don't worship me. You ain't get me in trouble. You know, I didn't, I didn't say, God, you know, do this. You know, it's John, you know, he said, don't do this. I'm a, I, I'm a servant like you are. Because John just seeing the worship going on, still seeing through a glass darkly. He just still didn't see the whole picture. But guess what? 
we should be falling before God right now because we see this. God's given us insight into who he is. Now, when we see what he's made, how many of you look at what he's made at times? You're like, wow, praise God. You are amazing, God. You start singing to him, worshiping him. Let's put everything together and worship him. Verse four, and the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Man, they're praising God louder than any rock concert you've ever been to, by far. Because guess what? The foundations of the temple are shaking. Wow. God's temple, shaking. That's loud. And praise God, we'll have resurrected eardrums, right? So we can bear it and hear it. Because the praise and worship's really, really loud in heaven, man. It's not these sweet little soft hymns. I'm sure there's some of those going on, so don't be bummed out. Oh, I like the sweet hymns. It's going to be powerful worship, guys. Okay? Amazing. And it says uh, the temple was filling with smoke. Smoke is a, a, is a uh, throughout the Old Testament, often a depiction of God's holy presence. Verse 5, then I said, what? Then I said, woe is me. Woe is me, for I am what? I'm ruined. I'm ruined because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen what? The king, the Lord of hosts. Why does he say I'm ruined? This is Isaiah. And notice the first thing he says, okay? Then I said what? Woe is me. What was Isaiah doing in chapter 5? He was woeing everybody else as the prophet. Woe to these people. Woe to those people. Now he's in the very presence of God. Woe is me, man. I'm ruined. That's what happens when you get close to the Lord. When you seek him, you get the presence of the Lord, you cannot help but feel convicted. If you're in the presence of the one true God, convicted of your sinfulness and humble before him in utter need of his grace, amen? Woe is me, I am ruined. And that Hebrew word actually means ruined, destroyed. Some translate it lost, but lost isn't strong enough. It's not just lost, it's ruined, okay? And I have a lot of notes here on that word, which I don't have time to get into, okay? But you're ruined, man, without God's grace, and it's amazing because he says, I'm ruined. Why? Because I'm a man of what? Unclean lips. I'm doomed, man. And I dwell with a people of unclean lips. And Isaiah, even though he was a holy prophet speaking God's word, he realized that he wasn't perfect. And the problem of the lips comes from where? The heart. Because Jesus said, out of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. And he needed a transformation. And God brought a seraphim to bring a coal to touch his lips. And it was him and his people were all in huge trouble before God. Right? And it's really, really heavy when you, when you think about it. In fact, go to Isaiah chapter 33. In fact, watch what happens, man. By the way, you know how God, you know how after this vision, how... Isaiah continues to reference God and who he is. He keeps calling him the Holy One, the Holy One, the Holy One of Israel, because this encounter with God transformed his life. And this should encounter, change our lives. We should need to recognize wherever we go, wherever we're at, that he's the Holy One. And we need to recognize that we need to make sure we watch out for our lips and that the Lord wants our lips to be cleansed. Amen? And he sends an angel to put a coal on his lips. And guess what? If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 and 30, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So guess what, man? If you're a believer, man, and you're cussing and stuff, that shows your heart. That shows your heart hasn't been born again and changed, or you've been changed at one point, but now you're backslidden because you're saying you're constantly talking like a filthy sailor, you know? I'm not saying all sailors are filthy, but a filthy sailor you're talking about, like, you know? And you ought not be doing that. And you, or you're telling coarse jokes. If Jesus is standing with you, are you using that language? No, I don't think so, man. Are you saying dirty jokes? I don't think so. Well, guess what? If you're a believer, then Jesus is with you. But if, you're, if you can care less whether he's with you or not, you're talking like that, is he really with you? You need to fall on your face, man. You need to say, you're holy, Lord, and I'm an unclean person. I'm ruined. I'm in trouble if I don't repent. And you need to get on your knees before God and say, God, give, change my heart. Quit, let, do not let me be a pretender anymore where I'm cussing up a storm, acting like everything's cool, blending with the world because I fear men and love men and the praise of men or what other people think or I care about letting my flesh run loose or whatever it is more than fearing and loving God. Amen? And to make sure we are holy before the Lord. Because guess what? Look at chapter 33, verse 14. Sinners in Zion are terrified, trembling and seized. The godless 
Trembling has seized the godless. Guess what, man? Yeah, you'll be terrified in God's presence. Trembling has seized the godless. Look at the next verse. It's really the next part of the verse. Same verse, verse 14. Who among us can live with what? The consuming fire. That's powerful, man. God is a consuming fire. Who among us can live with him? We'd be ruined without his grace. Who among us can live with continual burning? Woo! Are you with me today? The Holy Seraphim can. They're sinless, man. And they're still like, but you cannot be in God's presence unless you are cleansed of your sins, man. In fact, it says, it gives an answer. He who walks righteously and speaks with sincerity, he who rejects unjust gain and shakes his hand so that they hold no bribe. He who stops his ears from hearing about bloodshed, he who shuts his eyes from uh, looking upon evil. If you're like studying and into and watching pornography and stuff, oh, you cannot dwell with everlasting burnings. You're just gonna be like tissue paper, even worse, before a flamethrower. You need to repent, amen? Not looking at evil. Remember, (laughs) Isaiah was ruined, right? Because of his unclean lips. Well, Psalm 15, verse one through three says, O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who can hang out with you, right? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks, there's the mouth, truth in his heart. He does not slander with his tongue. Brothers and sisters, man, the only way you can dwell in God's presence, who is a consuming fire, the only way you can abide in the everlasting burnings of God's presence, because no man can dwell in the unapproachable light of God, except those, Jesus said, the pure in light, they will see God. Right now you can't. And we won't be totally pure until Jesus comes back and gives us new bodies, amen? We're no longer connected to our flesh. And in the resurrection, amen, that's coming in the future for the believer. And what a beautiful reality it is. And guess what? The angel takes a coal, he puts that coal on the mouth of Isaiah. And Isaiah's mouth is just, can you imagine? Isaiah, man, you, those are some jack lips, man. Well, guess what? God was purifying him. A coal from the altar. The altar is a picture of, where, of God's sacrifice that took place for his people. And it's because of the cleansing of the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus, that we could be cleansed. And Jesus is more than a coal. He's the rock of ages, amen? And we're purified through Christ and his coming, dying for our sins, amen? And when he touches us, if you touch this, the hem of his garment, right? The lady was healed, amen? And when Jesus touches us and we're in him, the Bible says Moses was hid what? In the cleft of the rock. God put his hand over him. Jesus said, nobody can snatch us out of his hands, and he is the rock of ages, amen. God became flesh, and now the Bible says in Colossians that our lives are hidden, God, in Christ. We are hidden in Christ. We are in the rock, amen. So since we're in the rock, we can abide in the fire of God's presence. And instead of being terrified, we can say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is is and will be filled with his glory, amen. And there'll be a new heaven and new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness, amen. And, when, and we get a glimpse of it, all this through Jesus. When Jesus appears to Peter, he says, pull up these fish. And Peter pulls them up, he's blown away. He says, depart from me. I'm a man of unclean lips. That's God in the flesh. Amen. But Jesus says, no, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And what happens? You know, when Isaiah sees all this going on, he gets clued in. He can hear the speaking in the heavenly council of God. You know, who shall we send? You know? with the message. And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. Amen. And Jesus wants us. What happens, brothers and sisters, when you have a confrontation, when you get to know God, if you're a true believer, you become convicted of your sin. Then you confront your sin and you deal with it. Amen. Then you want to worship like the holy angels. And you want to say, I want to give you glory to God. And then guess what? You realize that you don't want to just be saved, but you want to be used by God. Like like Isaiah said, here am I, Send me when they're saying, who shall we send? Here am I, send me. That's the mouth. That's where we should be at. Where was Peter at? Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. Amen. We're all called to be fishers of men. Amen. So if you've been truly changed, man, that means you don't have a potty mouth anymore. If you still have a potty mouth, you need to make sure you're really changed. Get on your face before God. And all of a sudden, because he's convicted, because he's hearing them say, holy, holy, holy. He's like, I'm not doing that. Are you doing that? You ought to be doing that. We should be saying, hallowed be thy name. We should be saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We should be transformed in our hearts, and we're transformed. Guess what? Jesus said, go out and you know, pray that God would send laborers in the harvest field for the, 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 the field is ready, ready to be harvested. Pray. 
And more than that, we should be an answer to that prayer as well, amen? So when God says, here am I, or, or who shall we send? You should be saying, and I should be saying, here am I, Lord, send me. Help me to be a witness in my life. Help me to be a bright witness. When people see me, may they see me and my life as holy unto you. And may they see that I believe you're the Holy One. And may they hear me saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And may I continue to pray, hallowed be thy name, amen? That's who we ought to be as Christians. That's the message of this book, that God's redeemed us. Those angels were not redeemed that are saying that. They never sinned. They didn't need to be redeemed. You and I have been redeemed. We've been given a new song. How much more should we be proclaiming from the housetops that Jesus lives, that God is good. He's holy, holy, holy. But we can also proclaim he is good. He is merciful. He is filled with love. Amen. Because he's redeemed me and we should be a witness to the lost. Amen. We got to pass out communion. But I love you guys. And I hope you leave with this message in your heart and that your life is transformed and you don't settle to have a potty mouth, but you use your mouth to glorify Jesus. And if you're going to call yourself a Christian, you and I need to live like Christians. Amen. Let's stand up and we'll pass out the communion.